0: This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Sarah Frazier. We discuss portions of her story that led to the writing of her debut book, I Didn't Sign Up For This. If you've ever found yourself disappointed and uncertain when you experience an unexpected shift in your story, this conversation is for you. Sarah shares how she has witnessed God's goodness in the middle of unexpected detours. She also shares what hope we can draw from the detours Moses experienced and how to move beyond disappointment. If you're in the middle of a story shift that has left you feeling sad or anxious or fearful, I have 10 scripture prayers that will help to recenter your attention on God's presence and plan in your life. For example, a prayer from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 Lord, you are my refuge and fortress, the God in whom I trust. Help me to rest in your shadow and dwell in your shelter. You can download those 10 scripture prayers for free at graceenoughpodcast.com slash scripture prayer. That's graceenoughpodcast.com slash scripture prayer. Sarah Frazier, it is so good to have you on the Grace Enough podcast. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Amber. Your podcast is literally one of my favorites. Um, my husband and I would listen to it together. You did a series we listened to, and he commented, um, He says, She's such a great interviewer. She asks such good questions. And I'm like, She is. She's great. She's great.
1: <laughs> and you were so kind to share that with me. And what a lot of people listening may not know is that being a podcaster is actually kind of lonely. Because I think people just think, and you probably know this as a writer, it's not like you're really getting a lot of feedback, but I think people think you are because they're listening, you know, but usually what you think, if you don't share it with them, they have no idea. And you were such an encouragement when I needed it. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I could go on and on about you, Sarah, but people don't realize that you're also my Voxer friends who talk me off the ledge when certain things are happening, but we're not here to talk about me. (laughs)
2: No. <laughs> That's okay. I love our friendship. I think I really loved getting to know you. And like I said, this is one of my favorite podcasts. So thanks for having Thank me. You. Oh, I'm excited. Well, tell me
1: as we get started a little bit of your faith journey, like when did you begin walking with Jesus?
2: I love this question. And I love that you asked this question. So my faith journey, I tell people I grew up in church. My parents were saved as young adults. And they brought us all kids up. I have two sisters and a brother, and we all went to church every time the door was open. And uh, honestly, my dad was the one to unlock the doors and turn mm-hmm. the lights off. He was always a deacon and helped in the church. My mom, I feel like that was our second home. And so growing up, hearing about Jesus, hearing about God was just a, just a normal, everyday part of my life growing up. When I went to college, I went to a secular university and I was then confronted with what we all, I believe, if I talk to other Christians, we all have to come to this point where we say, especially those of us grown up in church, right? Is this something I'm going to choose for myself? Or is this something that I'm going to just let go and say, that was great about my childhood. Um, and Mm -hmm. I chose, I remember specifically, I, choosing in college, I really do believe this. Like, I really do believe this is the truth. And of course, like everybody have had ups and downs, you know, with my Mm -hmm. faith and my doubts and my confusion and all of that. But the Lord is just, he has just proven himself faithful Mm -hmm. in my life that I can't unsee. I, I, I just cannot unsee what he has done. So that's how it, that's how it started.
1: It is the most difficult thing to explain sometimes, isn't it? Like, Because I think sometimes it's easy for someone outside the faith to think, well, they just they they haven't thought a lot about it or they've not dug deep into the really dirty waters or they've not had really hard times. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, (laughs) that is not the truth, (laughs) right? No, no. Maybe it is for some people.
2: Maybe, maybe it is for some people, but I honestly, I believe that as, especially people our age, as we have lived enough life, I think if you live enough life, you're going to ask that question. Mm -hmm. Do I really believe it? And, you know, I've had friends walk away asking that question and then I've had friends also face even worse circumstances I have faced and seen their faith blossom and grow. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely have had my fair share of questioning and
1: oh, yeah, doubt me too.
2: Um, and I don't foresee that even going away, <laughs> to be honest with you. I know. I don't. I, I think I'm always going to wrestle with that because I'm human and I can't understand everything, but I'm going to wrestle with it and I'm going to ask God. For- to show up. Yeah. Yeah. Keep showing
1: up. Yeah. (laughs) For the, a couple of years ago, I guess it was last year, you know, my biggest struggle and my biggest doubt was like, I believe you, God, I believe you like that you're there, but I am struggling with the goodness part. Right. Like, and so that was a whole different wrestling through a different question that I had several years ago. And so there's different layers of that. And it doesn't mean that people are turning from their faith. It just means they're wrestling and trying to figure it all out
2: oh, I was with you last year. I definitely the words came out of my mouth. God, I know you're good, but are you good to me? Mm. Like, How can this be part of your good plan? Like I could not see that. Yeah. And so that is definitely a question that I think we all have to wrestle with sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's really what we're going to dive into here at the beginning is, you know, at some point in your journey, your family went to Honduras and served there. You know, I mean, you were missionaries. That was your heart. You loved it. Um, You worked hard to connect with people. And so tell me, how did you guys get into that place where you decided, all right, we're taking our whole family and we're stepping into missions because it's not like it was just you and your husband.
2: No, we moved, um, we actually moved January of 2020 and I tell people that date and they just have a look on their face. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep. That's basically, <laughs> that's basically the feeling, you know, but really that dream and that goal to move there began before my husband and I were married. Wow. Um, we had talked about missions. I always wanted to be a missionary ever since I was a little girl, But my husband and I, we decided probably back in 2014. So really, almost 10 years ago, we surrendered to the call to missions. We were at a conference. We're like, this is what God is calling us to do full time. And so we didn't know what that would look like. And we were in the middle of adoptions at the time. And Mm. so we were adopting our daughter. We ended up adopting a, a son as well you know, through that time. And the Lord just opened a small little door back in probably 2017 or 18. And we thought for sure, this was our answer to prayer for where we were going to end up. Right. Mm. I think that we all have these ideas of, well, if I can just get here, then I'll be good. And this is where we'll end up, right? So we moved January of 2020 with lots of big hopes and dreams. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it was, we do not doubt for a second that God led us there. There Mm -hmm. were so many things that pointed to his hand on all of that. Um, It's easy to question things, you know, when it doesn't look the way you think at the end, because we don't live there anymore. Um, We served for two and a half years and... Because it ended so abruptly last year and it's only been a year, it's hard for us to kind of, we're moving into the ability to look back and have joy. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're learning how to do that now. We, we've kind of the past month or so we've kind of like, let's, let's not let this thing that ended steal all the joy of two and a half years of Mm. just a beautiful time of God growing us. Um, molding us as a family. But leading up to that, um there were several events that kind of put us in that direction of full-time missions. and they were all of God. and they I could I could list a hundred things. But yeah, that's how we ended up serving with um with God there in Honduras.
1: well, and your husband is a physician. and so was he able to through? Um, COVID still practiced there in the way I mean, obviously, it would be different.
2: But um, was he still able to do a lot of his work? So a lot of people have asked that. And it's so funny, because even our youngest son, the other day was talking about our time in Honduras. And he said, you know, back when you weren't a doctor. <laughs> because he he was a doctor in the States. And then we moved to Honduras and the role that he took was actually more of an administrative role. Okay, And so we knew that going in, that this wouldn't necessarily be him practicing day-to-day medicine. And so he was taking on a completely different administrative role, but you know, the Lord knows our hearts and he knows, you know, my husband and his heart. So during COVID he couldn't necessarily. So what, we were planning to do and we did for about a year and a half after COVID ended is we would host teams from the U S down to Honduras, uh, these surgical teams and Mm -hmm. surgeons, nurses, techs, all these, these people would come. Um, and then we would, he would set up patients who, uh, were needed those
1: services.
2: Yes. For free. So they would Mm -hmm. come and be able to have these surgeries for free, basic things like gallbladders and hernias and Different, just basic things that they that we take
1: for granted here in the states. Yes,
2: people have been waiting years, months, years for these surgeries. So, so he would facilitate all of that, and so of course, twenty twenty, COVID, all of that. There were no teams flying down, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, No one was traveling, obviously, and even in 2021, it wasn't exactly up to where it still people were still afraid to travel. But he did a lot of prep work. This was a brand new, brand new thing. No one had done this before in the area that we were in. This was brand new, and so he walked into the center and. No joke, if you've seen the tubs at Lowe's, like the black and yellow tubs mm-hmm. uh, with the, the black tubs with the yellow lids, no joke, I bet there were a hundred of those with supplies and they were just crammed oh, wow. into one room. So he went in and spent the whole year organizing, uh, inventorying, getting things set up, buying other supplies, getting things. So he basically got this thing up and running. Right. And so he... He spent the majority of his time doing more of that sort of mm-hmm. um, administrative work and also maintenance. He did a lot of maintenance and he would mop over there because you got to keep things clean. It gets so dusty. He was the everyman over there. But going back to him practicing, the Lord was able to provide opportunity for him to minister to the church people. And so he would go make visits to elderly people that needed, you know, questions asked about their medicines or their um, surgery or anything that they would need. He would go and he would visit. Um, We joke that there was about a six month period where he put on, I think five or six casts, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so the church that we were with had a children's home associated with it. And so it was on the same campus as the surgical center. And so the children were, there's like 30, 35 children Mm -hmm. in this home and there's a lot of broken bones. So normal kid stuff. Um, one of those was our son. So he ended up, (laughs) so he, he was able to practice a little bit of medicine, but it was more administrative work.
0: Gotcha. and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
1: Well, you have wanted to publish a book for years, and when LifeWay, B&H, however people would like to refer to them, said yes to your proposal, uh, you were thrilled, I was excited for you, but you had no idea... That the writing of this book was going to be your lived experience. And I think if there's anybody listening who is a writer and you really want to write a book, you think that (laughs) and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea my life was going to go off the rails. Um, (laughs) So tell me a little bit about that. What shifted? Like, not so much what shifted in your family life. You ended up coming home from Honduras Mm -hmm. from a pretty horrible experience, not in the place, but just in general with some other things. Yeah. But tell me about what it was like to write something totally different than what you had planned and just a little bit of that process.
2: Yeah. So my husband joked that the next book I write has to be on God blessing us in our life because like. (laughs) if we're going to live a message, like, let's be positive next time, you know, <laughs> and so, so I, like, I don't think it works that way. And I don't think that, that, that works that way. Um, so I got the contract for B and H and I had in 2022, I started writing it in, I'm trying to think back. I think it was April, April or May. They gave me about, well, six months from so February and I had six months to write the manuscript. I had two, two chapters done, you know, pretty much, and then six months to write the rest of the book. So we get to, um, I get to the end, and I know that we have this scheduled furlough coming up in July, that we were going to come home, what was supposed to be coming home for about a month to raise some more support, um, just see family we hadn't seen in over a year and a half. And so so we were kind of prepping that because I thought, okay, I've got to get my manuscript done and sent in for the first edits uh, before July. So I have everything pretty much done. I'm telling our story as far as the theme and all of that is all about God. When he shifts our stories, what happens to our faith, right? And how do we hang on to our faith when things are not going? And the major part of our story was our adoptions. And I talk a lot about that in the book. That is the majority of what I talk about, but we get home on July 5th. We get a phone call that turned our world upside down, and everything had completely changed. My husband didn't have a job all of a sudden. Um, we didn't have a car or a place to live or mm. anything. And so I'm sitting there at my mom and dad's house. We lived with them for four months before we found a home. We could afford a home. And I'm sitting there in my mom's living room. And the first thought is, I've got to change the ending to my book. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, we're not happily ever after in Honduras right now. And so wow. um, I read through. And well, I first emailed my editor and I said, Hey, I know this is the due date, I might need some more time. Here's what happened. She was very gracious. She was like, of course, take all the time you need. Um, I ended up submitting it bef- you know, on the due date or a little bit after, but I went back and I reread my story again and I just wept. Mm. And I realized that I had been writing the words for me mm. and all those words no idea what was coming in July. When I was writing those words in March and April and May, no idea that those words were going to impact me my husband read a big portion of my book and I would see him over there wiping tears. And then I would get frustrated. I would say something and he goes, you need to read your book again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All
2: the things that I'm reading in your book are things that, I, that you need to hear right now. you know." And so the Lord said, I want you to write this book. It's going to be for you. I felt like it was for me mm-hmm. to remind myself of things that were true when I was doubting everything. Mm -hmm. but also I could write it from a very vulnerable place. I felt like that was such a gift that I was able to put in that book and say, you know, we have the end of Moses's story because the book talks a lot about Moses. I said, but you and I are still living our story. In fact, this is what's happened to us. And we are, we are not at the end of our story. And And it was just a really vulnerable thing for me to end that book. It didn't feel like it tied up neatly in my mind, how a story should tie up. But then I got to thinking about Moses and I thought, well, he didn't really get to see the promised land at the end of his earthly life.
1: He did not. And
2: so he didn't step foot and live there and experience what that felt like. And so there was so much comfort in reading his story and reading the words that he wrote at the end and how he had found satisfaction and contentment Hmm. in a story that didn't end the way that he really wanted. And I thought, I want to express that we can still find satisfaction and contentment in our story. And our story isn't over either. And, but here, when something feels like an ending, Mm -hmm. um, because it felt so much like an ending last year of something we had, planned for for almost 10 years
1: well and so you had written the whole manuscript so you had laid out all of these parts of Moses's life and how it speaks to these unexpected shifts in our story. So I, I want you to share a few of those details from Moses's life. Maybe a few of those are the ones that ministered to you most. I mean you just shared one of, you get to the edge of, I don't know, was it in Nebo where he yeah. looked out and it was like, there it is. And I don't get to go. And I remember saying to my friend, Jennifer Hand, like, I feel like, yeah, I've been taken to the edge of the cliff and looked out many times. And God has said, now I want you to turn around and walk back the other direction.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, that is a hard thing. That's that story shifting. And so do you have any other things about Moses's life that you feel like when you were Walking through the shift of uh oh, this is unexpected and I don't like it. Um, that really were those tear jerker moments or bomb to your soul.
2: Yes. So when we think about characters in the Bible that could tell their story and how I didn't plan for this, I didn't plan for that. I mean, we could pick ten everyone, I feel I like mean, everyone <laughs> in the Bible. I think of Joseph, I think is the most used sometimes. Yes. I, I gravitated towards Moses, I think a lot because I'm turning 40 this year and his story kind of starts when he turns 40 and he has this idea, he has prepped his whole life to be this rescuer, he had decided when he was 40, he's going to rescue God's people. He is the man mm-hmm. that God is going to use. And we could talk about his mistakes that he made. And I talk about them in the book. But ultimately, God was like, nope, uh, you're from the world's perspective. He was at the prime mm-hmm. to be able to lead the people out of Egypt. I mean, here was a man who had a relationship with the Pharaoh, who had access to the Pharaoh. He had this training. A lot of scholars believe he had military training. He had mm-hmm. book training. He he was like the perfect place to be able to say, now let us go. And God instead shifted his story in such a remarkable way. He was driven to the wilderness and in his mind, it was over. And yet those 40 years are... You know, that takes up like two verses in Exodus. (laughs) And I'm like, I want more. I want more about your wilderness season. And I believe that he he had to go to the wilderness so God could actually make him into the man that that could lead the people. And a lot of people think, you know, well, he met God at the burning bush and that's what changed him. And and, and I go, no, 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 no. I think it was the 40 years of the wilderness Mm -hmm. that changed him to be who he was. Well,
1: isn't that the sanctification process, right, Sarah? So yeah, I met Christ when I was a young girl, Yes, but I am not the same person today as I was when I met him that many years ago. And there's been some wilderness. There's been some mountaintops. There's been some, Ooh, you just struck the rock girl and you're getting ready to get disciplined for that. I mean, because that is God's process. He shows us that so many times yet. I'm the same way as you give me a little more about the wilderness, because when we talk about, you know, quote unquote, faith heroes, which they are, we sometimes give them too much credit for what they were doing versus how God is the one who did the work (laughs) because we just flipped
2: the page real quick. And it was 40 years (laughs) later. And I'm like, oh, no, no, 40 years is a really long time. (laughs) It is a really long time. And And what I love about Moses is he is so much like us because we see something that God has called us to do. And we say, we are going to do it. We are going to do this for you, God. I'm serving you and I'm going to do it. And God says, actually, you're not (laughs) like, actually, I'm going to be the one to do it. And I think that's what shifted in Moses in the wilderness and at the burning bush. I think that was the, it could have been for him. I don't know in his brain what it, what was happening or what his thoughts were, but it could have Moses thought, oh, I am your servant Mm -hmm. and you are actually the one that's going to rescue the people. And Moses is described as the most humble man that walked the earth in numbers. He's described as that. And I'm thinking that is not the man who left when he was forty. True story. He thought he was it, and God needed to humble him, but he did it, I believe, in such a loving way. He provided a family for Moses. Mm -hmm. He provided a people for Moses. Who, you got to admit, when he was in Egypt who did he belong to? Was he an Egyptian? Was he a a Hebrew? He didn't have an identity as far as a people or a nation. And, and even in the, with the Midianites and, and, and all of that, him traveling with them and he didn't feel at home with them as well. I don't think from the names of his sons and we can kind of gather that, but I believe that God definitely used that wilderness season, that hidden season. I mean, they're up in heaven just talking about it right now. And we want to know more. And they're like, do you really, you know, wait till you get to (laughs) heaven. I'm going to go to Moses. And that's the first question I'm going to ask. So what happened those 40 years? What changed you? And I believe that he found God. And I believe that he realized that who he was. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just, that to me really spoke to, to my life as well.
1: Yeah. Well, you really dive in to God's goodness in the midst of really hard things. And so much of that speaks to God's sovereignty, but that's a thing that I think anybody who's gone through hard has to really, oh. Ooh, that's one of those questions that it's just like, come on, God, you know what, why, like, why do we need to walk through these hard circumstances if you're good? And so if you were speaking to someone who has encountered these unexpected, like story shifts, I didn't, I never wanted to be here. You know, my story changes and I don't like it. How have you found God's goodness in the midst of hard circumstances when that comes to your adoption, when that comes to this shift? And then how do you encourage others to really dig into that, to search for that, to pay attention to it?
2: I love this question because this gets to the heart of what I've had to really think about throughout my whole life. And it's this idea of I've always had over here in this bubble, God's sovereign and in control. And then over here in this bubble, he's good. And they never, I never understood how they could both be together in the same bubble because bad things happen. And not only in my life, other people's life. And I remember someone telling me, you know, God's sovereignty is not a comfort to me. And that was really a chance for me to dive in and say, why isn't his sovereignty in and of itself, all the comfort that we need? And I think because we, we take it out of his character. And we don't realize that that is just a piece of the puzzle or the whole whole thing is wrapped up in his sovereign goodness. And if we really believe that he's good and he's in control, that's what anchors us. And I remember wrestling with this last year immensely because you Mm -hmm. led us here, Lord, and now you're bringing us home. Like, I don't understand this and it was it didn't have to be hurtful but it was and why why are you you know allowing all of this and how is this a part of your will and what shifted for me even just in this last year that I still am really wrestling with is Romans 8:28 that says all things work together for good you know we just quote 8 Romans 8:28 8, but if you read 8:29 It says to be conformed to his image. So if things, all things are currently working for my good, what is the good? What is the good that we have? The good is that we're becoming more like Christ. And ouch, Mm -hmm. that is hard.
1: Sometimes that's painful.
2: (laughs) And I would not recommend you saying any of that to someone who is going through that in that moment and that are still in the deep throes of grief. And all of that—that that is not a comforting thing to say. To someone who is very deep in grief, but that is that is something that I could say to myself, and that I I clung to for myself. And I said, "Okay, God, make me more like you through this. I don't want you to. I don't want to go through this. But if there's going to be any good, then help me to grow and be more Christ-like."
1: Well, and i remember times just on some of my walks going god i you say that you're good and i want to believe it so help me believe it yes. like you got to i i got to you somehow have to show up in a way that i have not seen before or i have not experienced or i don't know something's got to happen but like i really really want to believe it and i just don't oh yeah and i do think that sometimes just honestly yes coming before him because it's not to believe that God really knows our hearts is to be free in expressing how we feel. And he knows if we really, really long to know him as he says that he is. And to me, that's a comfort. Oh yeah. You know, cause some people will say like for him to know us, that scares me to death. And I'm like, oh no, no, not for me.
2: Well, it's that two things together, right? He knows us and he still loves us. That's that right. That is the the comfort. Like you really know me. That's like with our spouse or someone in our family or friends that you're like you really know the ugly parts of me and you still love me. That's right. That is super comforting. What I love about Moses's story too at the burning bush is his questions to God because he mm. God says I'm going to do this great thing and you're going to do this great thing and Moses is like whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> like, I am not equipped. (laughs) And he questions, he says, who are you? Who am I going to tell these people? You, who Mm -hmm. are you really God? And who am I? Like, I, I I think you got it wrong. And I remember thinking last year, God, I think you got this wrong. (laughs) Like I just Mm -hmm. told him, I said, I think you got this wrong. We either misheard or you, you know, something got Screwed up. screwed up. You know, and <laughs> and God is so patient with us. And there there are times I believe I've learned the difference between doubting God um is true and doubting the truth of it. Those are questions that that might not be the most helpful to ask. Like I don't really believe I think when we come with an honest heart and say, I want to believe, like you said, I want to see mm-hmm. your goodness and I want to believe mm-hmm. this is what your word says. I, I would open my Bible and I'd read and I'd say, Lord, you said this, you said this in your words, That's so amazing. please show me. And I come mm-hmm. with honesty to the Lord. I was so honest to, with God last year. And I think what really prepared me to be honest with God and to be able to wrestle with him was eight, nine years ago, we adopted our daughter and it was just not what I expected. Having a child with special needs, they were much more severe than what we had originally thought. So mm-hmm. there were so many times I wanted to question God, but I didn't feel that I had the right to. I wrestled with that for years of wow. going into the depression and the anxiety and the, the hard things of... This isn't what I signed up for and I didn't feel like I could be honest with God at the time, but he showed me over time, you can be honest with me about these things. I can handle it. Yeah. I'm, I'm bigger than you. I know more than you come to me with your fears, come to me with your doubts and I, and he'll show up. Yeah. Cause that's when he pours. I mean, not, he pours out his
1: comfort anyways, right. but I think in that raw vulnerability, We're able to receive that grace in a different way because we're so just pouring out all that is in us that it just opens us up to even receive what he's offering um, as grace and comfort. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So tell me this, because disillusionment and disappointment are emotions that we do grapple with so much, yet. Those are emotions that we really can get stuck in. And I think, well, you just said (laughs) there was probably a season after you adopted that there was, you were stuck in that, you know, and I have been stuck in that disappointment that has led me down into some depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be some shaky ground that I don't want to say people are depressed, because of that, because I do think that there are things where you are clinically depressed, but I can also look back in my own depression journey, which is something that I'm treated for still, and see that some of it was me not letting go of some things or just completely pouring out my hurts before the Lord. And so there's a both and there. But how do you personally just encourage people to not stay stuck there like or or what to do to not stay stuck there because you've lived that.
2: Yeah, I have lived it in a sense that we walked through a lot of that with my daughter and I, that was was so multi-layered as far as special needs, you know, the fact that she might live with us the rest of our life the whole idea of actually, we don't even have an official diagnosis. I mean, we just, there's no name for it. You know, that sort of, there's so many layers to, to the disappointment. And Mm -hmm. I was lumping it all together into one huge disappointment that I couldn't name. And so one thing that I helped, that helped me, especially with my daughter, and it has helped me as well with this process last year, it was very multi-layered as well, is to kind of break up those disappointments and don't just lump them all together. Mm. Say I'm disappointed in and list them out either verbally or yes. on a piece of paper. I'm disappointed that, you know, initially it was, I feel very ill-equipped To have a special needs child. There was a layer of Mm -hmm. me just feeling like this, this, I'm not equipped for this. There was a layer of disappointment. Mm -hmm. What if my children are resentful of having a sibling like this, you know, and just being honest and I could pull out the things that I was, that I could say, well, this is not true because of this and wrestle with each of those disappointments in the light and the truth of the scripture and the truth of new, who I knew God to be and kind of realized that there are some things that are in my control and there's some things that are not in my control. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I realized was I am in control of um, my feelings. In a sense, my feelings are not my dictators. They are not allowed to be, I tell my kids, don't let the feelings be the boss of you when they're you know exploding. I have a an eleven year old daughter who is moving into. <laughs> I got one I'm of those. Like I'm sorry that you have to, but you. I understand how you feel. Like you are expressing how we all want to feel, how we all feel right now. But I would have to tell her, you know, you have to rein in those emotions, and that is possible. And here are some tips and helps for that. You know, explosive feelings. I have to tell myself Thank I am you. not defined by my emotions. I'm learning, learning not to be controlled mm-hmm. by them. Now, I still struggle with depression, and I have, and I talk about this in the book too. I think that it started way back in high school. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that clinically I have dealt with that. And then, of course, motherhood and the hormones and all of that just completely um, inflated it. And so, I think for me, kind of naming those disappointments and separating them can help us kind of get unstuck. But also one of the things I do want to mention is this idea of bitterness, because Mm -hmm. I think that is an invisible thing that we sometimes don't even realize that is in our life. Oh, I agree. One of the things our pastor, when we first came back, we met with him within the first week or two of hearing it. And he looked at us. And the first thing he said, he said a lot of things at the beginning, but he was kind of counseling us. And he said, you know, you're not going to want to hear this. And you don't think that it's applicable right now. He said, however, you need to guard against bitterness. And I remember thinking, I'm, I don't, I don't know what, like, I'm not bitter. Like, I didn't feel bitter. I felt angry. (laughs) And I felt like, upset and disappointed and all of that. But then we start, because he warned us about it, we started looking for ways that we might be bitter. And even now I have to guard against bitterness. And so I think recognizing that that's like kind of sneaks in with our disappointments and we can become bitter, not even at God or the other person, or just, just in general. Well, it's bitter over loss. Yes. Yes.
1: I think you go through a little bit and I, the reason why I I feel like I can speak to this is because there's a close relationship in my life that, you know, I'll think I'm not bitter, but then something happens even now where, you know, a birthday was missed Mm -hmm. and then I have to fight not being bitter that that person didn't acknowledge my birthday. So then there's that. And then there's, you know, Oh my gosh, it's been this many years. And Just those kinds, so they can sneak in like for you, it could be, oh my goodness, if we were still there, the clinic would be developed or I would love to see my special needs daughter right now at the same place as my other daughter, you know, and though, so it's a lifelong thing of having to let go of what is a completely reasonable expectation, but it's not going to be your reality.
2: No. And that's how bitterness comes. And it's, and it's so dangerous because it robs us. So it robs us of so much peace that is available mm-hmm. with the Lord. And one of the things that I really try to do to combat bitterness is to remember truth about my circumstances right now that are good. And it's going back to God is good. And one of the verses that really spoke to me, I believe it's Psalm 3119. I think that's it. But it says that the Lord or God has stored up goodness. And I just imagine in my mind, those big silos full of grain that are out in the Midwest. And every kernel is something good God has given to me in my life. And it's stored up. He And, and I'm complaining and I'm bitter and I am upset about this one thing. And he's saying there is a whole barn full of goodness that I have for you that I've been waiting to give you. And I'm not going to pour it out on you. You know, it's not going to just rush over me and I'm going to have everything I ever wanted. It's going to come slow and it's going to come one little thing at a time. And I pray, this is my prayer for my life is that I'll be able to see it. That I'll be able to recognize, oh, this is so good. You know, one of the things that he's really showed up for me at our family this year is providing a home. And I say, it happens to be right. It happens to be by one of the best Christian schools in the area. It happens to be that we can afford with his new job to be able to send them to this Christian school. It happens to be, this is just something little, but huge to a mom, right? Uh, my two boy my two oldest boys, we have five children. The two oldest boys went to a, another Christian school, a different one, several years ago for just like a year or two. And so my, um, one of my sons had this third grade teacher who we loved. And wouldn't you know, she switched schools. She's at the school and she's going to have our youngest. And so sweet. We saw her.
1: That is the goodness of God in the land we of the living. We saw her,
2: and so our youngest is adopted from China. And it was the year we brought him home that they went to school. <laughs> I needed that time. Um, um, he was a handful. He is a handful. But um, yeah. So we saw that teacher as we were kind of touring the school, and she said, "I know who you are, to my son." She goes, "You're going to be in my class, and I remember when you came home from China." And oh, I just gonna so cried like right there, but like God's goodness in that we get to have the same teacher who we loved and she, yes. she knows his story. She knows our family. Um, and he is just going to have a great year. I think I just know he is. So.
1: Well, and I think what's awesome is that brain science is actually Proving what God has been saying all along because naming those that goodness out mm-hmm. loud, writing it on paper opening your eyes to see that actually there is a lot lavished on us um, in the sense of even if you have beautiful trees and flowers, and there's so many little things that if you just start paying attention and name them out loud, like brain science is actually proving now that it does change the way you look at life. Like, and so you're, you know, it's not even just something that people of faith, quote unquote, which I am one of. Like, no, like, even science says it now. And so it's like, there is goodness, but we have to when we're walking through hard because it's so oh, hard yeah. to see. Oh, yeah. You just have to be in a practice of it when things are good yes. and easy so that it is your natural, more of your natural response to keep looking for it when things are hard. Yes, I totally agree. Well, Sarah, tell everyone the name of your book. Where they can get it. You can share the pre order details and then the actual date that uh, the book launches.
2: Yeah. So my book is called I Didn't Sign Up for This How to See, How to Rest in God's Goodness When Our Story Shifts. You can order it anywhere you buy books. So Amazon, anywhere online, you can buy books. You can pre order it. If you go to I Didn't Sign Up.com, so no apostrophe, just I Didn't Sign Up.com you can scroll down and you can see where you can get the pre-order bonuses. So if you do pre-order it, you get the first two chapters for free. And then you get a pretty PDF of um, a group study guide. So I wrote this guide. Mm -hmm. If you want to get some people together and want to um, do the book together, I even wrote a whole section in there on how to lead a book study and how to host people at your house. Like what if you want to open up your home and, so fun. And, and do that? So there's lots of information there. And then there's questions for each of the additional questions for each of the chapters.
1: And so if people don't pre-order because that date maybe has passed, it launches on?
2: October 17th. So pre-order October before 17th. October 17th.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here
2: and for sharing your story. Thank you, Amber. It was it was so fun. The link to
1: Sarah's book and her website are in the show notes. And depending on what app you're using to listen to this episode, those links can likely be found by scrolling down on your phone in your current audio player. Also, if you're in a place where you're experiencing fear or uncertainty or anxiety about what's to come, go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash scripture prayer or scroll down in your listening app to download 10 scripture prayers for free. That's graceenoughpodcast.com slash scripture prayer, or scroll down in your current listening app to find that link.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time! This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism, and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.